The 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundeal Motors, home to all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Visit dundeal.ie today to start the search for your next car. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Friday's Rugby Weekly coming to you one week before the World Cup kicks off in France. We are almost there. Kieran Kennedy here and I'm joined by the 42's Murray Kinsla who has his bags packed and will be touching down in his new home away from home in tours this weekend. Murray, all good? Yeah, really good. It's been a bit of a scramble to get ready, as I was discussing with Gav earlier on this week, but feel like I'm there and ready to get going and find out what tour is like and just get into the World Cup match week in a World Cup week. I know it's not the most glamorous tie for Ireland to open with against Romania, but there's a lot more glamorous ties elsewhere in in a week's time and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different this week and look back at some of our favourite World Cup memories. So... We've got four categories here to chat through and this has been a lot of fun to prepare. I was on a YouTube deep dive this morning watching some of the clips back and it really whets the appetite for what's around the corner. But just before we get stuck into it, just a final reminder of our World Cup offer exclusively for listeners of this Friday podcast ahead of the big kickoff next week. If you sign up with 42 before this Sunday, 3rd of September, you can get a 30% discount on annual membership. So that's €42 for your first year as a subscriber to the 42 Now, what you get with that is two new subscriber-only podcasts every Monday and Wednesday, as well as instant post-match reaction pods from the stadium after every Ireland game and throughout the year. We've got some great guests lined up for the various podcasts across the tournament. And as well as that, you get exclusive access to all of the other brilliant podcasts available from the 42, along with all of our analysis, our features and sports writing throughout the World Cup. So the place to go if you want to sign up is the 42.ie forward slash extra and you really do want to get on board before Sunday because on Monday coming Murray will be recording our bumper tournament preview pod with Gav Casey and Bernard Jackman. So again it's the 42.ie forward slash extra and we'd love to have you on board. Now let's crack into it. Drum roll. Murray Kinsley, what is your favourite Rugby World Cup try? It is hard to pick because there's such a array of beauties and you're trying to weigh up whether you go for the most important try or just the one that you enjoyed the most and that's the way I've gone with all these I'm going to be very selfish and the one I went for is Nguenya USA against South Africa 2007 because it was such a moment of individual one-on-one brilliance which is rare enough these days so it feels even more rare when you look back at it now complete minnows USA against South Africa and they got hammered in this game South Africa go on to win it obviously but it was just such an unexpected moment of brilliance. And South Africa are actually pummeling their line. They're five metres out. Todd Cleaver, I think it is, who gets the interception over on the left-hand side. And they just sweep the ball across to the right. And Nguenya is he's 50 metres out. And it's Brian Habana in front of him. Brian Habana is absolutely hot shit at the time. He's the greatest winger in the world. He did not get burned on the outside. And Nguenya just shimmies inside him. And Habana willingly gives him that outside and thinks, I'll be okay here. And he just goes. And the pace is phenomenal. We knew he was quick, but for him to do Habana in those circumstances was just spectacular. So that's one that I always think of immediately. It comes straight to mind. And yeah, there's others I'm sure we'll we'll chat around 
I don't want to spoil yours by maybe offering up some some more suggestions, but that was a phenomenal bit of rugby athleticism and I was still young enough at that stage. Uh, I was getting on, but it was just a it was just the kind of moment that excites you, gets you up out of your seat, and also the fact that it came against the strongest nation as they proved to be made it all the more exciting. So I'm curious what you went for. Yeah, well, that was one that actually crossed my mind this morning and I was looking back over it and there is a moment there where you think, no, Habana's got him here and then just that little switch and yeah, brilliant finish. But yeah, similar to yourself, I kind of was wondering what way I wanted to go with it and I was thinking of, I was thinking of Brian O'Driscoll's try against Australia in 2003 and just, I probably associate that more with his performance on the day. As brilliant as the finish it was, he was just electric that day and in the last World Cup, I like I loved Colby's try in the final. I loved... TJ Perinara had won a great finish. It was against Namibia, but he was like really under pressure in the corner. Obviously, you kind of grow up watching John Lomu in 1995, but the one that really sticks out for me is probably Mananu against Australia in the 2015 final, where you just kind of had that thing of watching a, a brilliant team at the peak of their powers. So, like, Sonny Bill Williams comes on at halftime in that game, and at, I think at halftime, New Zealand, they're 16 3 up, so they're kind of well on their way in this final. And Sonny Bill, he just makes it look so easy. He's got three defenders on him and he's kind of able to turn himself around and find the pass. And it's this little one-handed pop offload. Man on who gets the ball and he's still got loads of work to do. Like he's kind of just inside the Australia half, but he just blitzes through, beats a load of defenders. And it's like New Zealand are just in this kind of state of flow at the time where everything that they're trying is, is working for them. And it was a historic game. It's New Zealand becoming the first three-time champions of the world. It's that thing of watching a brilliant team at the peak of their powers and they're delivering on everything. It's kind of like, you know, Guardiola's Barcelona during the Champions League when they're at their peak or or the great Kilkenny teams under Brian Cody. These teams where everyone is expecting them to win, but they still kind of blow your mind with their brilliance. Like that was just an incredible all-black side. And on the biggest stage in the biggest game, they're kind of just having a bit of fun with it and making things look easy. I just remember being absolutely blown away watching that team and that try probably summed up that World Cup for them for me they're the best World Cup winning team I think it was unbelievably stacked with experience wasn't it and, and got loads of guys who were already legends but to go back to back with that kind of expectation on your shoulders was brilliant and the rugby they played was brilliant I remember the quarter final even against France a real sad day for French rugby it, it genuinely was and I was there but it was just phenomenal to see the quality of their rugby Guys who just knew exactly what to do in exactly the right moment and loads of more of them on the bench and even people who didn't make the match day squad were outstanding test rugby players. It was a phenomenal squad and it'll be actually hard to beat that that quality of performance. I think the whole way through the competition, the assurance they had, the composure and anytime there was a hairy moment, you had a Dan Carter or Richie McCaw, whoever it was, to steady things and come up with a big play. And then as you say, a Sonny Bill Williams off the bench like what a phenomenal luxury and they were I know they were likeable as well Sonny Bill Williams giving away his medal after the final to some kid who ran on the pitch and got smashed by one of the stewards it was a, a moment I'll remember as well so that was a brilliant World Cup campaign and I think it'll be really hard to top it given the fact that they did also go back to back yeah they were so good that I kind of just had to pick one moment from from their World Cup in 2015 and not let it you know, infiltrate all my other choices here because you could easily single them out for a couple of things. But um And there's loads of other tries, like there's loads of others that I considered. Like Wales, England two thousand three, that Stephen Jones try 
if people can't remember off the top of their minds, go look on YouTube. String of brilliant offloads out of their own half. Scored this incredible try. There's Hesketh, Japan against South Africa, which you might come to in 2015. The, ga- the game ceiling try and the biggest shock ever, probably. And loads of other unbelievable individual efforts. And that's the kind of exciting thing now is that even though there's so much pressure on, it's only every four years, these players and athletes prove themselves to be the best, very best in the sport because they actually deliver some of their greatest moments in that intense cauldron, in that pressure with all the world watching and, and it actually brings out the best in them. Whereas us mere mortals would just shrink in the, in the face of that intense scrutiny and pressure. Um, so there's there's loads you could go through. I, I'd be fascinated to hear other people's suggestions on all these kind of categories. So get in touch with us after. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely want people to get in touch and, and let us know if if you agree with us or if you think we're absolutely talking nonsense. Um, the 42 Rugby Weekly is sponsored by Dundeal Motors, Ireland's favourite and number one car site with the largest range of premium cars in the country, including brand new cars, electric cars and premium used. Now, our next category is the one I maybe found the most difficult favourite World Cup game. It is difficult. And some of the upsets probably stand out as much as anything. You think of Ireland, and I wasn't, I mean, I was three at the time in 1991 when they played Australia, but my dad had a video of it and used to make us watch it repeatedly, even though they they lost. George Hamilton's, or Gordon Hamilton's try, rather, was a an amazing moment in, in Irish rugby history. Obviously, the heartbreak of that with Lina's late score. Beating Australia 2011 World Cup was a was a peak, and there's not that many of them with Ireland. There's not that many good memories, really. But that was one of them. I, this is recency bias, but I actually, reflecting on it this morning, the 2019 World Cup was high quality, and there was a couple of games in that. Japan-Scotland was one of my favourite games ever. It was just so much fun. J- Japan at their absolute best to build up a lead, then Scotland came back in. It was really dramatic. It was also the day after the typhoon in Japan, and it was an emotional occasion. And the fact the game even got played with big crowd was an amazing achievement. Performance-wise, actually, New Zealand against England in that semi-final, that, that English performance was one of the best I've ever seen, if not the best I've seen live, albeit like it was a dominant win. And even the 2003 World Cup final, awesome game. With extra time, with the iconic moment of Johnny Wilkinson dropping the goal, there were so many good players on the pitch that day as well. But in the end, I went for 1999, France versus New Zealand semi-final, because France were, seem, they weren't expected to win and they were seemingly down and out. What was it, 24-10 maybe was it, I think? 24-10 early in the second half. And then they just turned on the magic as only the French can. Christophe Lemaison starts smashing over drop goals and penalties and he reels in the, the Kiwis and then they go into overdrive. Christophe Dominici scores, Richard Dorth scores and then it's Philippe Bernassal, a really iconic moment again. Even with that celebration with the two kind of peace signs out and he looks about 40 years old and he's definitely had a pack of fags at halftime to, to get through the second half. And they were just such a kind of sexy French team, weren't they? Even Garbajosa at fullback, Emile Entomac was in that team. Galtier, of course, who, who now is going after a World Cup himself as a head coach. And then some serious weapons up front, Ibanez, Benazi, Fabian Palouse. They just, they could batter you as well as offloading the ball. So it was, it was my discovery probably of just how sexy French rugby is still to me. I have to say, I love it. And that performance to overcome the 
the massive setback of conceding two tries to John Lomu and the All Blacks looking out they're going to steamroll them to just blow them away was absolutely outstanding. I hope I haven't mentioned one year's gear on, but there's a good selection to choose from in fairness in terms of best games ever. No, you haven't selected one of mine, but you've certainly struck a chord with the love for French rugby, which I think we're going to, um, there's going to be a lot of talk about France in the next couple of minutes. But when I was looking back, like, you kind of touched on it already. When you think of the Ireland games, it's kind of the defeats that, spring, that tend to spring to mind. Um, but there's one from 2015, and yeah, I was going to say that's a recent one, but it's probably not as close as it feels. But France-Ireland in 2015 is the one for me that probably sticks out the most because... As you say, when you look at other tournaments, I kind of remember the defeats first. But when I think of 2015, I think of that France game. Like I was just enthralled from start to finish. And it was the manner of the win, everything that went with it. The buzz of watching an Ireland team win a game like that at the World Cup. And so much to be seems to be going against them. Like you just can't beat that feeling. And like they lose Johnny Sexton after, I think it's 25 minutes, he gets kind of late shot to the ribs. And then... Paul O'Connell is limping off before halftime with an injury that you know was ending his World Cup and probably ending his career at that stage. They then lose Keith Earls and Peter O'Mahony to injury as well. And whatever about what's going wrong in terms of keeping players on the pitch, there's moments going wrong for them on the pitch as well. Like I think of Earls spilling a pass from Tommy Bow and it looked like a certain try in the first half. But then in the second half, Ireland just dug in and like they were absolutely brilliant. Rob Kearney gets a try after about an hour. Puts Ireland 14-6 up at the time. Conor Murray then gets a try with 10 minutes left. And they're, they're 11, 12 points clear at that point. So you can actually kind of just enjoy the last 10 minutes a bit. And it's it's the game of Ian Madigan's career. And even looking back at some of the clips this morning, like Ian Henderson is brilliant off the bench. And he's only about 23 at the time, but he's just like absolutely dominant out there. So yeah, you just watch all these big names going down for Ireland and other guys step up and deliver. It's, it's a real team performance and the celebrations after. It was just a brilliant occasion and a brilliant day and as, as good as it got that year, unfortunately. Well, that's the thing. I Honestly, I probably remember that. As a, I'm remembering as a whole with what came the next week, but I'm almost remembering as a bad day because of what transpired after it, the toll it took. And you think, oh, a pool game can't take that much out of you because a week later they just they were shorn completely of the spine of their, their team, even emotionally. There was just so much that went into it. Obviously, the image is Ian Madigan afterwards with tears in his face, uh, celebrating, and I think that's absolutely warranted. It was, as you say, the day of his career, really, and his family there, and it's such an emotional moment. But you think, did it just take too much out of Ireland? And the yeah, simple answer is, of course it did. It took the spine out of their team, and I know they've been criticised for quarterfinal... Um, exits and and not having the nerve there but I think given what they lost in that France game it would have been really difficult to win Argentina were a decent team in fairness and and in fairness to the critics of Ireland they didn't handle it well obviously you've lost everyone but they still were uneasy and edgy all week and despondent really before the game even started that was reflected in their, in their start so that's funny I never would have picked that game out because I so thoroughly associate it with what came after <laughs> Yeah, and even like I probably, when I look at that 2015 quarterfinal defeat to Argentina, I remember not being as disappointed at the time as some of the other quarterfinal defeats because I kind of felt, well, you know, this is a huge ask, of course. Of course, things didn't work out today, but just watching that second half against France, I just, they Ireland kind of blew me away with how they responded to everything that went wrong that day. So it always just stuck in my mind that game. 
But the other one I was going to suggest was, if I'm thinking of games not involving Ireland, it's France-New Zealand in 2007. Um, just again, an occasion and a really iconic game. I remember France facing down the Hacker beforehand and Shabal is there kind of leering, almost daring somebody to make eye contact with him. And New Zealand leads 13-3 at halftime. Thierry, uh, Thierry Dusatoire scores then and gets things level as 13-3. And then you've got the 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 really controversial uh, Josie on try, which involves Mieslach and, and the four pass from um, Damien Troy. And I was looking at that back again this morning even. And you kind of see Joe Rococo calling for the forward pass instead of chasing Mieslach. And yeah, there's maybe a lesson there, kids. Play the whistle. But the whole thing just felt like such an occasion. And the tension again throughout that game, France coming back into it like that. And the last image I always had of that game was the France scum half um LSL kind of running to the touchline to kick the ball out at the end of the game and he's just bombing it for the line and everyone's starting to celebrate around him and it looks like he's going to just head straight to the corner and keep running all the way out of the stadium and back to France for a semi-final like it was just absolutely class everything about it um, and yeah just a really iconic game Yeah One of the other things that strike me now is that like World Cups are often just about who's level-headed through the whole thing we're talking about loads of great performances here and great matches, but what happened after is as relevant to loads of these. Even France in 1999, they scored those, what, 33 unanswered points against the All Blacks. You think they're going to cruise into the final now, but they lost to Australia. The Ireland example we mentioned where there was this massive peak and a week later there's there's a toll. The England one that I mentioned, 2019 semi-final, I, I, I genuinely think it was up there as the greatest performances ever, but couldn't do it a week again, a, a week later. And there's all sorts of circumstances around that. Indeed, with England, they had an early injury as well with, with Sinclair. But it's a really interesting challenge in the World Cup is making sure that you don't empty yourself into a game that's not the final. You've got to hold something back. You've got to have something in store. And the Springboks, did, they, last time they, they just had that little bit extra in their tank and the way they managed their squad and managed their emotions was as important as anything. What you're saying is Ireland should rest a few players against South Africa in the pool stages this year? Just, I don't know, just don't. The final is the final. Nothing else is the final. So getting into a quarterfinal isn't successful. Winning a quarterfinal, if they do for the first time ever, that's not success. And I think that's honestly how they're, they're preparing for this. I'm really interested to hear this now. Who is your favourite World Cup player? Very personal choice here because by any other measure he's not the greatest World Cup player ever but mine is Rupeni Thethany Buka from 2003 for Fiji he only played two games <laughs> I had to check that this morning he scored against France and then he scored the two memorable tries against Scotland but again they were moments of stunning athleticism from a player I didn't know I was I was young a young teenager at that stage I hadn't really I didn't know much about Fiji and rugby but that's the joy of World Cups in any sport is, is discovering new players. And Tenno Nibuka had been brilliant for the Blues. Retrospectively, I watched that 2003 season they had and I think it is one of the best club seasons ever and he was amazing in that. But this is on the international stage. And it was just the ease at which he blasted past the Scottish defenders. The first one, he gets the ball on the 22 and he just, he just bursts past two guys who are professional rugby players <laughs> in the biggest competition and the second one was just outside his own 22 where he steps inside one a lovely swerve where he barely slows down and then he just absolutely burns I think it was Logan on the outside 
and they just made you sit up. There was a cool celebration with the polishing of the shoe as well. Cool name, cool player. He was just a, I don't know, a beacon of brilliance in a, in a Rugby World Cup where you didn't expect it to, to come from. So while it was short-lived, his two performances those days, they, they blew me away. And it's a sad story, really, how it's ended. I think people might have seen the interview with him a couple of years ago. He's back in Fiji, he's penniless, and he clearly wasn't given the right support through his career. He wasn't saving the money he was making. He admitted he was spending it on alcohol and on sending it back to people at home, and it wasn't going to, to good use, really. So a, a sad story. And actually, he only played for Fiji eight times, I think it is. He didn't have a big, long international career. He was often injured. He was not available. And with him... It's a story almost of what might have been, I always think. And I don't know, there's something there's something alluring about that to me. The the wonderment of what he could have done. I think he could have been the greatest player of all time in rugby, really. Such was his individual ability, but it was only in fits and starts. And I mean, even the Agen days, I've, I've found memories of him. But 2003, those two games, and particularly those tries against Scotland, I thought they were stunning. Yeah, I've kind of gone... A slightly similar route in the sense that the early World Cups you watch growing up leave such a lasting impression on you. They like they really do. So I was I was running through a few options in my head for this, and like I loved watching Dan Carter over the years at World Cups, and and I loved watching someone like Ches and Kobe in the most recent World Cup. But if I'm to think about a player who left a real lasting impression on me, it's it's probably Freddie Michalak. Like I would have been I would have been 13 for the 2003 World Cup, so. I wasn't too fussed on lineouts and scrums and all the nuts and bolts of the game, but like I remember watching this French fella, and I think he was twenty-one at the time, fairly new to the team. And even though he was on a French team beating Ireland, like I was just really drawn to him. He was just absolutely class. His vision with the boot, his skill, his like he just looked like an absolute superstar. And like France blitz Ireland that day, twenty-seven nil up at halftime. I think he kicked twenty-three points in total. But then I remember he had a bad day against England in the semi-finals and that kind of made me like him more. Like I almost kind of felt sorry for him and I'd wanted that France team to go on and win the World Cup. But yeah, from that point on, I always had a real soft spot for Michelac and, and just French rugby in general. Like I remember going and getting a French training jersey after that World Cup and messing around with a bit of place kicking in the back garden and stuff. And every time the Six Nations rolled around, like I'd be trying to watch as much France games as I can and Michelac was my man and... Like, my dad was more of a Sebastian Chabal fan, so that was always a bit of crack. But, yeah, it's that thing of, like, it's, it's what you hope World Cups do for young people. Like, you find players on other teams who become heroes, like, and you kind of get excited about the sport. Um, yeah, but no, just 2007, you had that moment against New Zealand in the semi-finals, which you touched on already. The four pass wasn't called, and, like, I remember thinking, yes, like, you know, you deserve that, Freddie. Um, but, yeah, 2003 World Cup's the first <laughs> one I properly remember like and aside from O'Driscoll and O'Gara and Keith Wood like watching Ireland like when I think about that it's it's Freddie Mishlak and he kind of won me over for the next decade really there's something exciting and exotic about him almost isn't there and also he shares with Tauteni Vuka that he's flawed very obviously as you say like immediately after you're blown away by him he has a real bad day and I don't know, there's something about sports people who have those flaws and they're so visible that it's easier to grasp onto them. Like, 
Dan Carter, lovely player, lovely fella, I'm sure, but ah, no, I've no interest really now. I did at the time. I, I respect his talent so much, and he is undoubtedly one of the greatest of all times. But I take a Freddie Michelak any day of the week as well, because the moments of brilliance are matched by moments that you could imagine yourself coming up with <laughs> and letting the team down a little bit. But he was so naturally skillful. I agree, especially the early year of Michelak when he used to do things that were completely out of the box. It was a nice time for rugby as well because that stuff, there was more space for it. There wasn't as dominant defensively. It was just a bit looser. Even watching the highlights now, you think, wow, they're, they're, there's so much space there for them to attack into or how is that space there for, for him to kick into? That's the other side of rugby now. It's just so confined in, in many ways, so structured and there's a little bit little bit more pressure on players like that. Those players definitely are still there and they're really important, maybe even more so than ever, given the ability to break out of structures or do something slightly unexpected, but it's harder for them to shine. Like, I don't think Tauteni Buka would score some of the tries he scored back then now, maybe the odd time, but it would be tougher for him because his opposition would have studied his fend pattern, he would have studied his acceleration and he'd know when to insert himself into that tackle and it would be just a little bit less fun all around so I think that's a great pick Mishlak is a a legendary rugby player yeah I certainly don't think he'd get the same kind of space down the blind side for that kick off the outside of the boot in 07 against Ireland Hugo Keenan have that cleaned up now Um, but yeah let's hope there's a few more Mavericks that come to the fore over the next couple of weeks our last category is favourite World Cup upset I think you might have hinted at what yours was earlier on but Murray, favourite upset? Well, the best upset, I think, is Japan 2015 versus South Africa. That's off the charts in terms of a shock. They built for years for it, really, with Eddie Jones and Steve Borthwick in there and came up with an unbelievable plan. And they were just utter minnows and they were small men compared to the giants of South Africa who were expected to steamroll them. But Japan had a brilliant day. I'm even... The ball in and out of scrums, the ingenuity of their attack. And as I mentioned, that late, late try from Heskis will stick in my mind ever. But my favourite, actually, is Uruguay against Fiji in 2019. Recency bias, definitely. But it was just so nice to see the emotion of the Uruguayan players. And I know Fiji themselves have caused shocks and look to cause shocks, but no one expected Uruguay to, to do it. It was just such an emotional performance and... It was exactly what I love about upsets is that it was just completely random fixture that y- you didn't even think was going to be all that alluring. In fact, you probably would have been like, if I can miss one, it's it's maybe that. But I'm so glad I didn't because the Uruguayan players crying afterwards and some of them going on to bigger and brighter things, including Arata, the, the scrum half, has been um, has been phenomenal. So that's what I went for in the end. But there's a, there's a decent back catalogue here as well. What did you go for? Yeah, well, this is interesting because we decided not to tell each other our picks before we went on. And this is the first time we've clashed. Again, I went for I went for Uruguay-Fiji in 2019 because when I think of that World Cup, the, I, like, I think of that Springboks team, obviously. I think about what Japan did. I think of Ireland against New Zealand. Owen Farrell staring down the hacker. And then it's, it's Uruguay-Fiji is right up there as well. And f- like for all the reasons you just said, like with every tournament in any sport, you want moments. And that was such a moment. And it's probably one of those games where a lot of people weren't watching it live, but then you kind of see or hear what's happening and you're flicking it on to catch the last couple of minutes. And 
everything about it was brilliant like it was a, a small enough stadium out in Kamashi like it just looked brilliant a really bright sunny day Uruguay's first World Cup win in, in 16 years since they beat Georgia in 2003 I think they only had 22 professional players so that's it the emotion at the end you're watching guys at the biggest moment of their career and creating something that will make them legendary figures back home and, and an iconic team in terms of that World Cup so yeah, it was it was just magic, and it wasn't just even the upset. Like it was it was it was a cracking game, and they scored some really good tries. Um, but yeah, every World Cup kind of needs those upsets, don't they? Like you're looking at this year's tournament and trying to spot where they might come, and it will be on a different level to Uruguay beating Fiji. But I'm kind of looking at Pool C and hoping Fiji can maybe get out of that pool ahead of Wales or Australia, because it's just no good if the same like four or eight teams are in the semi-finals and quarterfinals all the time um, like it was great to see Japan get to the quarters in 2019 so so yeah maybe maybe Fiji can be that team this year or it would be great if Romania or Tonga did us a favour against Scotland and that's the thing is Fiji have history 2007 they beat Wales wasn't a 38-34 last gasp try it looked like Wales had come back and steadied the ship I think they scored about 5-6 minutes to go but Fiji had one last a surge of of brilliance and they scored with the the clock nearly in the red and and that was one of the most memorable I think I'll never forget watching that it was a phenomenal shock the J- Japanese performances in the last World Cup I've said before some of my favourite rugby performances they s- played with such style and intent and precision I think it was really enjoyable to watch and maybe the wrong setting to say this but their win against Ireland in Shizuoka was breathtaking to witness and to feel and to hear and to it was it just it was a full body experience being in the stadium that day because the Japanese fans are exceptional when they get into the game they it can be a bit of a lull in the game and then suddenly it can be 100% and they're all screaming in a really high pitched kind of tone it's very Japanese distinctly and it was humid it was heavy it was hot it was oppressive you actually got a sense of how the Irish players felt when that pressure started ratcheting up and things started going Japan's way and and again what a privilege to have been there for it it wasn't a good day for Irish rugby but it was phenomenal to witness because Japanese fans didn't expect that to happen that day they didn't have great expectations even though the the team had given it a, a few warning shots before the World Cup and it was in a weird way Joyous almost to, to experience the joy that the Japanese people were, were having in the, the stadium that day. And as I say, they did it against Scotland again. And South Africa, they munched them up and spat them out in the end in the quarterfinals. But it was unbelievable story. So I echo your hope that we've something similar and even something... Because we're all kind of expecting Fiji now. Like they're top ranked in their pool and we're expecting them and Georgia to really give it a crack. And Samoa and Argentina have some big results, but... As the the shock moniker suggests, there's probably going to be some other surprises along the way. Yeah, well, well, you need it because the upsets are often just as memorable as the big bluster, blockbuster games that everyone's tuning in for, aren't they? But look, as long as as long as Ireland aren't involved in any over the next couple of weeks, we'll be happy. <laughs> um, look, I think that's about all we've got time for today, Murray. I'll I'll let you get back to your last few bits of packing, and um, we'll chat to you soon. Safe travels. Thanks. See you over there soon. Murray will be back on Monday with Gav and Birch for our big World Cup preview pod and you do not want to miss that one. But that's it from us today. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you soon. This episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundeal Motors. 
Visit Dun Deal Motors for confident car buying and deals to feel great about from all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Driver's got names for filthy double barrels. He spits out, breaks out, only smokes carols. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body and spirit. Mind, body and spirit. You better hear it, I fear it. Oh, that's the spirit. Saying sister, sister, how I miss you, miss you. Let's go wrist to wrist and take your skin off of my whisper. If you're a rock star, pawn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you are. Get yourself a good car, get out of here. Yeah. Put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. 